Today is Sunday, June 22nd, 2014. This is Stacy Finney sitting in for Loud Fast Philly. And today I am meeting with Joanne Rogan. Did I say that right? Yep. Uh, the lead singer of Thorazine. And we are in the beautiful Fairmount Park um, of Philadelphia. Hi, Joanne. Hello. Thank you for meeting with me. Since we're outside, I just want to make sure that we speak up in the sound. Okay. Um, um, quality is good because we have some background noise of the birdies and the, and the cars off the highway. Um, so we'll get started, Joanne. Tell me where and when were you born? Um, I was born uh, January 2nd, 1967 uh, in North Babylon, New York. On Long Island. On Long Island. And is that where you spent most of your young um, years? Yeah, until I went to college. Okay. Tell me what that was like growing up in Babylon. Oh, God. Um, it was rough. I was really different than all the other kids. Um, like I'm not now. Um, and, you know, Long Island is the suburban hell of New York City. And... How far is it out of New York City? Uh, 45 minutes. Okay. And is it considered a suburban area? Very suburban. Area? Okay. Um, and middle class? Yes, very middle class. Okay. You know, yards, kids, mm -hmm. bicycles in the street, sidewalks, mm -hmm. you know, houses built in the 1960s, that kind of thing, 50s. Did you um, live with both parents? Both my parents, yes. Um, my mother is still alive. My father died a couple years ago. Okay. And? Um, and they were married the whole time. Wow. And siblings? I have sisters? a sister who is 13 years older and a sister who is 9 years old. Okay. W were you an oops? <laughs> yeah, I was a midlife oops. My father was 40 when I was born. Okay. And in 67, that was ancient for our baby. All right. So <clears throat> what was it like being the baby of the family? I had a lot of parents. Okay. <laughs> I, literally, I had three mothers and a father. So it, it was good, but it was very, I, I was like an only child. Sure. Um, Where you're, because they were kind of grown up and almost my, leaving home. Well, I went to kindergarten home, when my sister went to college. Right. right. So, um, yeah, they were leaving. So what, describe yourself as a little girl. I was a really nice kid. I was a really good kid. I followed the rules. I did what I was supposed to do. Um, so, I was, you know, I, I like sports. Did you um, play sports? I did. What did um, you play? I was a swimmer. I played soccer. Um, there wasn't as much opportunity for women in sport then, mm -hmm. but I played sports all the way through college. I high school, sorry, not college. Um, so, okay. And were were you musical at that point? I mean, I know you're the lead singer of a band. It, it, when you were in elementary school or middle or high school, were you involved in any well, music? Things? Not really, but. From the time I was four years old, I wanted to sing for a band, and I had how, the Fisher Price. How did you Price, know that? At four years old, and I had the Fisher Price record player, uh -huh. and I would play the songs and sing them. And then my sister, who at that point was a teenager, had all those 45s that came out in the 70s. And she had this 45 record player that she took everywhere, and she played all these records. And then she would buy me records. Um, and Do you I, remember what kind of records? Oh yeah, I'm the, the first four. Seven inches, like the forty-fives uh -huh. I got were Melody, Brand New Key, um, Crocodile Rock, <laughs> Gypsy Tramps and Thieves. Great. 
It's and a great I forget song. I forget the fourth one it was in nineteen seventy two. I still have them. I have wow. all the violin over that. Really? Yeah. Wow. And they're still amazing. playable. And they haven't warped yet. <laughs> no. That's great. So so you weren't involved in, in any kind of um, music classes or did you play any instruments growing nope. up? Nothing. Nothing. Um, not until well, and then in fourth grade I was in a play. <laughs> it was the Catholic school version of Greece. Uh-huh. And I did uh, Frankie Valley's beauty school drop. Nice. And my father said, you sang really well for a fourth grader. But they never encouraged me to do anything with it. And, and it was just not, you know, kids didn't have as much extracurriculars, I guess, they do now. Right. right. It wasn't and then, as prominent as it is today. Yes. And then when I was in uh, ninth grade, I sang concert choir. Mm-hmm. In ninth and tenth grade, I sang concert mm-hmm. choir. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your parents. What did they do? Was your mom a stay-at-home mom? Did she work? My mom was a stay-at-home mom with my sisters, but by the time I came around, she wanted to have a career, and she um, became a salesman, and she did, like, lots of stuff, but in the end, wound up selling postal uniforms to postmen and having her own business representing all these different uniform companies plus her own T-shirts and sweatshirts, mm-hmm. and, and she did that until she was 75. Wow. Um, and my father was a... Um, he worked for Nabisco. They met at Nabisco. Uh-huh. And then... Um, what did he, he was, do for Nabisco? He was like the salesman with the truck and deliveries and that kind of stuff. You guys have a lot of Nabisco products at home? My mom was weird. <laughs> she wouldn't let us have the cookies because she was like, no, we're not having cookies every day. Um, did your dad ever sneak them in? Yeah. And then um, he was also a lumber salesman. Oh. So then he went and became a lumber salesman and he uh, did that until he retired. And what were your parents like growing up? I mean, how would you describe them? They were tough. They're, in what way? Uh, um, my father was the good guy, and he was like the really warm, fuzzy one. And my mom is she's she's tough. She's Annie. Uh, she's not the warmest of people, but she's uh, she's crazy smart. <laughs> Made you toe the line. Yeah. 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 So she was. You know. She was. She was born, if she was born now, she would have been an executive of a very big company. But being that she was born in the 30s, it was different for her. Right. right. So she raised us to be very strong, independent women. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit more about, you know, what, what was home life like? I mean, did you... Was it was it, very much like an only child. Yeah. Was um, it ever tumultuous? I mean, did you... Yeah. Did you yeah, were you like, rebellious at all, or were you compliant? I wasn't at home. I was the good girl. In secret? <laughs> yeah, I was like in secret. I was I was a really, you know, my mom was really tough, and if you didn't tow the line, you were in trouble. She came from a really strict German background, mm-hmm. and I wasn't messing with that. I needed to get through it. Um, so all the way, you know, I was rebellious here and there, you know, but I wasn't super rebellious until I moved out. And we'll get to when we'll get to that point. So, at what point? Um, I mean, you said that when you were four, you wanted to be a singer in a band, and you were listening to like current, you know, popular rock and roll that was on the radio. Um, at what point did you discover punk music or, or any kind of, you know? I was 13 years old, and I'm still in touch with this person. His name is Sean, and we were in the lunchroom at the Catholic school, and it, he had a, he had the Sex Pistols on his Walkman, and he put the earphones on me, and I said, what is 
that. This was at a Catholic school? Yeah. With a co-ed Catholic school. Yes. So you went to Catholic school too. Yes, I did. Why is everyone, everyone I speak to goes to Catholic <laughs> school? Is it I our generation? I don't well, know if it's I, our generation or I didn't stay in Catholic school and I didn't go to Catholic school the whole way through. Right. But I did go to Catholic school. Because I feel like everybody I know went to Catholic school. Yes. Um, so, hi, hi, how are you? So, and we are back. We had a slight disruption with a walking tour through the fine Fairmount Park, and we were besieged by a group of hikers. So we are back. But we were talking. So you were in Catholic school. You were 13, so that was ninth grade? Yes. So right around ninth grade, and a friend of yours came up and put headphones on you, and it was the Sex Pistols. And what was your reaction? What is that? Did you know that your friend was listening to alternative music? No, or? I didn't know. So where where did he find it? I don't know, um, but he, he well he had a lot of family in Europe. He was Swedish and African American, so he was spending a lot of time in Sweden. And uh, he was just a very interesting character all the way around. And he um, put it on me, and I was like, "What is that?" I think I bought it the next week. Where did you find it? Do you remember? Oh yeah, it was, I, I got it at like. Like, no, an independent record store. Did you go into this, the big city? No, 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 there's none of that. <laughs> you live on Long Island, you stay on Long Island. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, so you found a record store and you got the sex pistols. So what happened from there? Did you start exploring And then I went to other... a birthday party for Karen. And she was 16. And she played London Calling. At, oh, and that's gosh. when it first came out. Yeah. And I found that. And then... Uh, you know, it was hard to find. Like, and and I do remember Wendy O. Mm -hmm. and, and the, the plasmatics, plasmatics, and they're being in the front page of the Daily Paper in New York. Mm -hmm. You know, with her jumping the East River in the car and mm -hmm. all this. And I remember seeing that and going, "Oh, I want to be her." But I, you know, in the environment I was living in, it was really strict, and that was not going to sure. happen. Right. Um. So, I, you know, I um, I didn't buy a whole lot of punk records at that point, but. We got alternative radio in New York around that time, so I started learning about the Smiths and the Cure and that, like all the alternative so bands. A variety that time. Of, of different kind right, of genres of, of punk music, really, like the sub, right, the right. sub genres, because like they're all really wave. different. And uh, all that came out, and we, well, you know, I was lucky enough to live in a place that had the first alternative radio. Do you in remember the, the station? Um, WLIR. Okay. Okay. New York. Yeah. So. From there, you're discovering different bands. Did you start going to shows at this point? I wasn't allowed. <laughs> so, uh, we but were you were aware that shows were happening? Yeah, somewhat. But you know, it was bigger shows. Um, I remember listening to one of the interviews that someone talking. Yours, where the Who and the Police and the Clash came through and they played Jay Studio. Ah. And I got in trouble and I wasn't allowed to go. Oh. But a lot of my friends were there for that. Um, and uh, I didn't get to see a lot of shows then. So the friend of yours that, that turned you on to the Sex Pistols, was he, did he continue to get involved in music? And is that no. something? Okay. No, he, he's gotten involved with other things. But I'm still, uh, he's still a friend. It's, um, no, he didn't. It's, you know, 
it was so just, was it more of a slow progression for you? I mean, you couldn't go to yes. shows, but you were, you were listening to the radio. Right. Were you starting to dress different oh, or course. hang out with different kids? So tell me about that. Like, yeah, and I didn't hang out with different kids because really until I hit 11th grade because I had gone to Catholic school till 10th grade. Mm-hmm. And then in 11th grade, we, um, I went to public school and that's where I met Tommy Uchez. And he was like, who is Tommy? And Tommy was six foot six. I he's so big, and so about six foot six and 130 pounds, soaking wet. And he was, um, he had spiky hair and wore all the punk rock clothes. And he and I spent a lot of time listening to English punk rock. Um, Do you remember what band specifically you were listening to at that time? Sex Pistols. We would listen to The Clash and. Susie and the Banshees, and you know, like all the popular ones mm-hmm. of, of that era. Yeah, a little bit of Ramones, mm-hmm. but the Ramones were on the radio in New York because right, it was right, on LAR. Right. So that was kind of like, it was, yeah, it was every a, day. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't that different for you. Probably, no, it, it wasn't. Was the norm. Yeah. Um. So, um, he and I would. He, he used to say things like, "Sports are a communist plot against America." He was just crazy. <laughs> I loved him. <laughs> Um, but, and then I met a guy named Joe, and Joe was into the New York Dolls, and I got really into the New York Dolls as well. Um, and so all that was around the same time. Right. And do you remember, what, what year was that? Let's put it in context. 83. Okay. 83. Okay. Um, and then I basically bid my time till I could get out of Long Island. And I just, I can remember driving my car to work and looking at the, the parkway and thinking, if I drove west, I could go see the rest of the world. I got to get out of here. Um, so what happened? What happened after high school when you graduated? Um, I wanted to go to NYU and couldn't afford it. My sister lived here in Philadelphia. She lived it in the suburbs. Okay. And so I got into Temple, and the only reason I chose Temple is because in the city, and that's all I wanted was to live in the city. So what year were you at Temple? I started in 1985. We missed each other by a day, probably. Because <laughs> that's when I transferred to Hahnemann, was in 85. So, so But I was at Temple hanging at the picnic tables uh, with the Jolt, Jolt Cola truck. <laughs> oh my God, that's so <laughs> And probably funny. a lot of the same people. So we really did um, just, just miss one another. So did you do four years at Temple? Well, I was on the 11 year plan that I did finish. Right, well anybody at Temple is, is Definitely well, I went into my senior year, plan. and my choice was to go on tour with FOD in your in Europe or finish school, and I went to Europe. <laughs> what What was your major? I was I really I, I this, this is what I wanted to do and uh-huh. what I did. I really wanted to be a radio DJ growing up. It was my passion. I would and a singer in a band. Yes. Well, <laughs> by the time I got there, I didn't think I could do that anymore. You know, was, you could didn't think that you yeah, could be a singer. Yeah, I was very. Um, insecure about all that you know okay. you get to a certain age and I didn't think I could do that and there's a lot of bad self-esteem going on mm-hmm. with that but I wanted to be a radio DJ which is typical I think of yes. you know adolescence but so. radio DJ I could do you know so were you in the RTF program or? I did not my family would not allow that and I studied kinesiology I was going to be a gym teacher oh <laughs> that's, that's exciting. not really what I wanted to do it wasn't exciting it was you just miserable so after 11 years, that didn't happen. Did you did you meet the guys from FOD at Temple? I mean, no. is that how you met? Okay, so how did you meet the well, guys? Well, so then, I'm at Temple, 
And I remember, I was studying kinesiology, going to be a gym teacher, and I used to see Jim Smith and mm -hmm. his mohawk everywhere. <laughs> I know Jim. <laughs> I know Jim well, too, now. But those times, I did not know him. Uh -huh. And I would see him, and he was the epitome of everything I wanted to be. Wow. And I was like, Ooh, who is that? And take me to your leader, kind of, you know, where, where is this? When you had when you had come to Philadelphia and you were going to Temple, were you hanging out at any of the shows yet? Or no, were you not. Just, I so just, you were just. I still, couldn't find it. I did, you, you know, didn't I came know to where a city. Were. And at that point, Temple was a commuter school. Right. And coming from out of state, it was so hard to meet anyone. Yeah. It was really lonely, really yeah. depressed, because I was. I I had this thing in my head. I could never be this normal gym teacher person, and there was a lot of bad depression, suicide attempts, like I just was not a happy person. For you, while you were oh, at yeah. school. Anything yeah. prior to that or just after I you was came depressed here? for years. Because I knew I could never be that person with the nails and having a normal life where I go to work nine to five and and I mean I could work nine to five now but I, I could doing something I wouldn't. I wasn't gonna be happy doing. It. Was that kind of the expectation in Long, on oh, Long yeah. Island? Like, where you become a career girl and you have the high heel pumps and the fancy nails and lots of money? I, my one sister was um, a vice president of Chase Manhattan Bank. Oh, my wow. other sister was uh, one of the first seven women pharmaceutical reps in the country in 1972. So it was expected that I would be achieving that greatness of typicality, and I didn't think that that was really where I was going. And and do you feel like that's what kind of led to your feeling depressed and insecure? Oh, absolutely. Or? Absolutely. You know, and then there's, you know, there's a lot of emotional negativity that I brought with me, you know, from my family. Just, I mean, can you talk a little? You don't want to talk? Okay, that's fine. I mean, I'm not going to push you in that direction. That's totally okay. Um, so, so then you come to Temple, and you don't know anybody. You're far from home and everything you know, and you don't know anyone, and you're not quite sure where you fit in. So you were feeling that loneliness and that depression again? Yes, a So did it just come and wait at different times? Or no, was it, it was just pretty much constant. constant. Yeah. And and you said that there were some suicide attempts? Yes, I, um, I, almost had, I almost killed myself once, really. It was um, Tylenol, and if you take that, damage to your liver. I didn't know that. And I mean, it took like 500. What, like, do you remember what you were thinking when? Oh, when I, that I was happened? done. I was done. I was. Just, I and I didn't think it was going to get any better, and it was always going to be this horrible, gut-wrenching depression. I mean, for years. And at that point, they put me on antidepressants, but it wasn't the antidepressants of now, and it was just horrific. So they didn't help you. No. Um, well, and what happened when? Well, you then, were... the first show I got to see was the Ramones played Temple Spring Flame. I was there with Tommy Conrell <laughs> and the Young Rumblers in Trouble Funk, and I was, I was at there. that show. The roof is on fire. Trouble Funk was awesome. They were awesome. They were but it was the first show, and then the Ramones played in a pit happened, and I was like scared shitless. But let's go back a second. So I mean, because just people are going to be curious. So you know, and and you don't have to. You don't have to give gory details or anything like that, but let's let me just ask you this, if it's okay. Um, when you that didn't come until like my first suicide attempt, maybe came like in my sophomore year of college, and then not until a little, that's why I went to that show, and then we can move from there. Because then, like, really, my real serious suicide attempt came when I lived in West Philly. When, I was like a when junior. What? I was a junior in college. And, and living in West Philly. Yeah. Okay. 
So, so what, I mean, at that point, I guess from, from my understanding, when people feel depressed and they want to commit suicide, it's the ultimate feeling of hopelessness. Like there's just absolutely no shred of evidence that gives you any reason to live. So what helped you move beyond that? I had a really good therapist. And Through Temple or, or Yeah, actually, he was like a fellow when I met, met him at Temple. And then he moved to CHOP. And he actually, I was an adult, and he would see me at CHOP. Okay. Um, and then, I, you know, moving to kill time. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, because I had people. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't alone. Because living alone for me was really difficult and horrible. When you came to... And I didn't know anyone. Right. And so... I started meeting people, and that really helped, like meeting people in West Philly. Sure. Um, and I think when you meet people who are kind of your people, like like-minded, um, who, who you have things in common with and do think outside the box, you tend to feel like there's more of a purpose. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I mean, so, okay. Absolutely. I just kind of wanted to, to sort of, you know, before we move on to like... You know, uh, the whole like idea that... that I was going to have to be a gym teacher for the rest of my life and, that is and try to fit into this normal mode, that mold yeah. I wasn't fitting into. Yeah. I, mean, I was it, like, ah! Yeah. Even as an athlete myself, I, I couldn't imagine having to be a gym teacher. Like, yeah, I, I think that I would want to stick a fork in my eye um, <laughs> before having to And I was like, <laughs> do that. what's the sense? Right. There is no I mean... I shouldn't say that because that's disparaging. For some people, it makes total for sense. For me, what, the, what was the sense? Right. For you, personally, what was the sense? So, here you are at Temple. But my parents come from the whole, like, depression. Were your parents depressed? Like, no, no, you, they come from the depression oh, era. from the depression era. So you era. had to get a job well, so that you could mine. support yourself. <laughs> but, like, you know, my dad was yeah. born in 26, yeah. my yeah. mom in 33. Like, yeah. they came from this they place of you need to have... Sure. They, you know, they were from the World War II generation, mm-hmm. so it was... Very, I had to have something that I could support myself because. And you fit into a certain mold, and you behave. As, I mean, they, I'm sure, had the typical stereotype yes. of women and what their role in society is. And right, did they did they verbalize that to you, or was it just sort of an unspoken? Oh yeah, no, you had to, you have to, you know. No, my mother though, because she was the the ball buster she was. She's like, no one's gonna take care of you. You gotta learn how to take care of yourself, which was really awesome. But at the same mm-hmm. point. So you have to go get this normal when job, kid, and my sisters were so, like, successful in mm-hmm. business, and, and I was not going that way. Right. Yeah. And as a child, that can be very scary. I mean, the world is so big, and you're thinking, how am I going to do that? And I guess you see your sisters who have done it, um, and then you have this message of, you know, this is what you have to do. I can imagine that that would be yeah, um, really hard, especially for a kid who doesn't necessarily think that way. And it's you know? interesting is that once I gave up this idea of I had to grow up and be normal, mm-hmm. I've never had a depressed day since. And I'm raising two special need children. Right. So That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So now we can move on, right? Okay. All right. I won't talk about that anymore. No, I mean, you can. <laughs> You're, and in fact, this is your interview, so you can, whatever you want to bring up, but I don't, I don't want to press those things because I know that they're very personal and, you know, it's... Yeah, it was, um, it was, a, it was awful. But I moved to West Philly, I guess... What year was that? 87-ish, 86. And explain what kill time is, because well, not everybody listening knows. Well, I, I moved it first to move, moved to West Philly, and there was a store called Sam's Place mm-hmm. on 45th Street. And I met this guy who was just this crazy artist guy, and of course had this like crazy love affair. 
And he worked at Sam's. And Sam's was like this meeting point for the West Philly. They like sold pastries. And I remember Rich Hoke used to come mm-hmm. in. All the guys from the big thing lived a block away. Like, so. And that was, what, what was that, like 86? you said? 86, 87, and, like that. And, and around that time, West Philly was sort of becoming the hub of the punk scene. Like, everyone was moving right. to West Philly. The squad houses were opening. Right. And so. so, and all these people were coming through Sam's, and I was hanging out there because my boyfriend was working there. He left, and I wound up working there, too. And I got to meet all these people, and um, that was really important for me. Mm-hmm. And then I had stayed at apartments and stuff at different places around West Philly, but then I moved to Kill Time. And tell me what Kill Time Kill Time was a warehouse mm-hmm. space where we could have, I don't know, three or 400 people over for a show, but they never really touched our living space. They'd come through the kitchen into the big warehouse space, but above it was all these bedrooms. And there were 10 of us who lived there at that time. And was that a squat? Or no, it was not. It was rented from this guy, Hanley Bodak, and have Hugh Waddles was one of the first people to open it up, and Andre was part of it, and there was a bunch of people who had opened it, like, who had fixed it, had been on fire or something, they fixed it enough to have a space. They wanted to have artists, musicians, and they had this whole vision of what it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had moved on, and I was like kind of the second wave, and it was Rich Hope. Mm-hmm. Me, because Annie at the time he was dating Alexandra, uh-huh. who was John Paul Glasky's sister. I went to John Paul on his first show, so it was really fun. Um, it's just funny how incestuous this whole, yes, it is. whole group is. Everybody um, kind of knows each other to some degree. So. Uh, yeah, no, um, and Carson, who's a tattoo artist, and Jerry, uh, Kathy Chan, who um, put herself on fire in the Penn campus. Um, Talk to for me her, about poli- that. she had her own political party. Um, she was Kathy Change, and she used to dance in front of the art museum in the butterfly costume. She used to dance at like outdoor shows. I'm sure you've seen. Yeah, that. I'm just. But people listening will have well, no idea. Right. So let's give them a picture of. And of she who was this like this was. amazing character who had these very strong, very very liberal political beliefs and. She wanted to change the world, and she felt like no one was listening. For women, or just in, I mean, women, were, were, was it just, women's issues, or just global? Global issues. Uh-huh. And she, um, oh, she had a play, and she was amazing. Um, so she set herself on fire? Yes, not, that was like the late 90s. And, and she did that on Penn Campus? Yeah. And did she, library. did she have a message with that? Oh, yes. That? I mean, what, can you talk, do you remember? I do. I'm, I'm not well versed in the Kathy. She was my friend more than I was well versed in her political beliefs. Sure, sure. She was my roommate. She was my yeah, friend. Yeah. She was really instrumental in like helping me get out of this depression because she would take me to dance. She would always dance, always dancing. She'd dance in front of this big window at Presbyterian Hospital where people were having dialysis, and that really just changed a lot for me. Like she was amazing. Um, what made her set herself on fire that Because she felt like nobody was listening, and this was her way of getting her message out. And did she get hurt? She died. She died when she set herself on fire? Yes. So there was, I mean, do you think that that was her plan? Oh, yes, yes. She mailed things out on her way to the... Did you know that prior? No, I, um, I didn't live with her anymore at that point, and Thorazine was in Denver, Colorado when she died. Mm. At that point, Thorazine was on tour. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah, because when I, I actually I will always don't... remember, because it was Maria, who was also a roommate, and Eric Toy. There was a lot of roommates. Um, yeah, well, I know. And it's West Philly. <laughs> Eric Toy, uh, Maria called me on tour. Okay. Uh, she found where we were and uh, got in touch with me. I don't remember the incident. So when you first started talking about it, like I was thinking of it as more of a political theatric. Because no, there was she a died. lot of that during the time. No, but this was like the late 90s and, wow. and she died. Wow. Um, but Kathy was there and um, it was amazing because, you know, then there was also the fake house, which was next mm -hmm. door. And, and what then was the fake house? The fake house was a similar type of idea. It was before Stalag 13 was there, which was a similar idea of a mm -hmm. place you could have shows. Yes, another, and they, yeah. people lived there as well. Um, so the fake house was the same kind of similar idea. And then on Spring Garden Street, there was a bunch of people who opened squats or rented houses really cheap. So it was like the House of Vixens. And then Victor had bought a house in that neighborhood. Hugh went and bought a house on um, Powelton. But there were a lot of people. And they were all very invested in the scene, which was like, at that point, kind of punk rock and kind of a lot of arts and other things mm -hmm. going on with it. And we would have like a meeting, okay, what shows are we gonna bring in? And what, anything else. And the first show I put on was Nausea, Born Against, and FOD. Nice, a and kill time. A kill time, and I did awesome. it with Mike from The Virus, who at that point was 14. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm, I, you know, when I look back and just the ages that we all were. I was in my thing like later than 20, but even so, yeah. I mean, that's pretty young. And, and then a 14 year old, you know, to be linking up with all these different people and making these things happen yes. is amazing. Yes. So, and it so was a gigantic show. How many people were there? Do I don't remember? even know, but we made so much money. <laughs> Nausea was like, you can't you give us all the money. <laughs> no, well, we made so much. We gave like 90% of the door to the bands. We kept some of it, but what we did with it was invest it back in the space and sure. stuff. And our rent was like $165 a month. It was stupid. <laughs> so we. Um, the 80s were good. <laughs> yeah. And we. Um, and at that point, I was stripping for money. Oh. Well, so we, that we, was always really interesting we don't too. We compartmentalize here and keep coming back to these things. So wait a minute. All right, I want to get to the stripping, but let's talk about Kill Time first. So, um, who else played Kill Time? Tell me about some of the other shows. Oh, Poison Idea came. Nice. That was really cool. Oh, Halius Creed came. Um, oh, God, it's getting fuzzy. Um, I know. Every local, I remember seeing Shemales and yeah. Dead Spot. Yeah. And, oh, I love Dead I Spot. Um, I mean, Kill Time is one of the bigger venues in yes. Philly at that yes. time. So do you remember... Alice Donut? Oh. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So do you... Do you um, what was the vibe like there? I mean, with, I, I know that, you know, 85, 86, 87, I mean, there was a lot of violence at punk shows with skinheads and things like that. And I know that it started to die out, but there was that period, like... You know, around 84, it was starting to build. 85, it seemed like it was kind of peaking. Were there By the issues? time I got there, it wasn't. No. It was, it was yeah. very little. <coughs> Picked up again in the mid-90s. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, what do you remember? I mean, in terms of... Not much. I mean, yeah. at that point, by that point, it was not a whole lot of skins. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I remember I met John Finn at Kill Time. Um, love that guy. I we love, love you, John. I love Jonathan. <laughs> Chuck Meehan. Um, you know, 
and Posey Tolbert, who um, has passed, but mm -hmm. he, he was always there in Paradox and Jackrabbit, and mm -hmm. it was just this amazing gang of people. So, I mean, had any issues ever come up, or was no. it just, no? Very, very rarely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, it, it had it had become just a really supportive, cool scene at that point. Fun, just fun. So let me ask you this. Um, well, no, let's go back to this other compartment, stripping. How does stripping? Okay, so here we have this young woman. Well, I was who's in college. insecure. Who had some issues? Well, I was with an artist. I was an artist model. This is when I was before I lived in Kilton. Okay. And I. Uh, I had no money, I was broke, and I was living with this crazy guy, and when I lived with this crazy guy, my parents were like, we're not, they didn't even talk to me for a couple of years. Oh, wow. And um, I was doing artist modeling, and I was like, well, I could take off less and make more money if I dance. I was a dance minor, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna go do that. And a friend of mine who was, like, there was a lot of women doing that at that time. Yeah. And she went with me, and I auditioned, and then I, at that point, it was like I had this agent. And she would book me in these different clubs around town. They weren't gentlemen's clubs. They were like corner strip bars, go-go bars. Yeah. Um, How much money were you making back then? It was, you know, it was, it was good, I guess. You know, <laughs> it was enough to make my rent and did you feel have like, enough money to do things. And Did you feel like you had to compromise your own values or did it? No, did you... because I never took my bottoms off. You know, it was very, there was pasties involved. It was... Okay, I was so okay you with felt it. okay with it. Oh yeah, I was yeah. really okay with it. Did you like it? Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, it was okay. Okay, yeah, it was. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. And then I, mean, I wound up like doing that, and then, I, um, and I was all around town, and eventually I found other bars later, and actually stripped in Spain while I was there because I went with a stripper friend on tour with FOD, uh -huh. and then uh, I also worked in New Orleans on Bourbon Street. Oh for wow! A while. So, so like, you really. You went on tour. <laughs> with my pasties. With your pasties. Well, could you make them go in different directions? No, I'm sorry, no. I gotta ask because that's always fascinating. No, at that point, it was like, we used to wear a lot, like, there was a lot of, like, punk rock girls stripping at that point, and we would wear Mr. Yuck stickers. Oh, I love Mr. Yuck. <laughs> He's my favorite. That's, I, I you know, I, I'm always fascinated by women that can do tricks like that. So no, I, I was really I good on the ask. pole, though. I would always wear my motorcycle boots and a G-string, which is hilarious. Yeah? Oh, yeah? yeah. Guys I like hated it. high heels. Yeah. By the time I got to this, like, one place I worked downtown, it was all in the family on 13th Street, but that's, like, closer to 90. Uh-huh. And I would be, I, you know, beginning in the 90s, and I was wearing um, my motorcycle boots all the time. That's awesome. Well, it's way easier to dance in motorcycle boots than it is in a pair of four-inch yes. pumps. And it was fun because all the strippers would dance, and then we'd get done and go to a show. So it was... Yeah. That's hilarious. Now, did any of your friends come out to see you dance? Oh, yeah. 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 And that you were okay with that? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Good. So, all right. So now we got, we covered that base. Because oh. you've done a lot, girl. <laughs> you, like, you got, you and I have messaged back and forth a bunch, and I feel like we'll never get to half the things, but we'll try and touch on a lot of different stuff. Um, so, you mentioned that you actually toured with FOD that you went on tour with them through your... How did you get friendly with those guys? Well, really what happened was I was living in Kill Time, and I had no money, and Rich was my roommate, and mm -hmm. he was doing rave records at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and he paid me to help him put records together, so like the Don't Lick the Walls box set, I can remember going into rave records and putting it together, putting the records in the sleeve and putting what they numbered, mm -hmm. and I remember numbering them, and you know. Right. Um, and it was him and Todd running this, and I... 
Todd Cody. Yeah, and I... Who was one of my early very good friends. What's funny <laughs> is that he and I were never close, and then he moved to San Francisco. Yeah. Well, he, but he I know who he is well. He, we're the reason he came to Philadelphia. That's so funny. Kremlin Because he was friends with Mark Furnish, our guitar player. Oh, that's so so that's, yeah. But anyway, that's total I remember he had, like, that's... some 60s car, and he was living on Baltimore Avenue. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, I, uh... Wound up working with Rich because he needed help, and he was sending FOD and the big thing. They were going to Europe, and I think the airfare was four hundred dollars round trip. And my friend Simone, who was also a dancer, she wanted to go. Alexandra was going to go, and the three of us were going to fly over around the same time FOD went, and we went. And Alexandra and Rich, they went their way, and Simone and I had each other, and she became my Thelma. Her and I had this like wild <laughs> adventure. Yo, totally. We were so hitchhiked what? Europe. Oh my when god. When we were broke, we would find FOD. And we had the, and we would go and there. Hitchhiking in this was what year? 91, 90. So at that time still in Europe, you know. You and it was like the Berlin Wall had just fallen. There's a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, it was yeah. really I think we we got to see like the Berlin Wall. They still had the um watchtowers were up and there was paths on each side, people bicycling, and dirt. There was no grass yet. It had just wow. come down. Wow. And we had gone to Czechoslovakia and all this. But when we get really broken, really hungry, and really had nowhere to go, we would find FOD. <laughs> because they would say we were part of the band, and they would get us free food and free drink, and a place to stay that night. We love you guys. Oh, they're my boys. <laughs> oh, I have no idea. So what and then the big thing, also, we're on tour with them, we were all just friends. Wow. and. It was so. So, what were some of the venues? Do you remember any of the venues? Oh, that you got I to remember seeing Hamburg, Vienna, um, uh, Berlin. <laughs> we were singing disco songs outside the squat in Berlin, and the night, and <laughs> they were yelling at us because we, we were just like drunk and singing, you know, Donna Summer song. Oh, so fun. What was? Do you remember like? What, I mean, you'd seen FOD play here yes. to Philly crowds. What was it like seeing them it in Europe? It was amazing what? because it was just big, giant shows every night that we saw them. Like, way bigger than Yes, here. and then they were playing with Al's Donut a lot. Mm -hmm. And then there was also, at the same time, all these amphetamine reptile bands were on tour. It was the Ugly American Tour. And it was Tar, Surgery, mm -hmm. Halo, Flies, God Bullies. So that whole thing was happening, too. Oh, it was such an amazing time. And, and so, like, were crowds, like, going crazy? For oh, yes. Yeah. Were they yes. headlining the shows? Sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they were, like, yeah. with Al's Donut, and they were... Yeah. Um, and the big thing was with them. Right. It was just... Wow. It was an incredible time. What were some of the highlights of your of your Thelma and Louise tour? <laughs> oh, my God. Just, just my friend Simone and I were just hitchhiking. We, I think going to Czechoslovakia, like... And they were still waiting in lines for bananas. That was That's just an eye opener. That was incredible. Yeah. Um, and they had taken all the um, Russian monuments, or like from the communist era, and they had like tanks and um, a memorial, and they painted them flowers. Yeah. And I, I remember meeting some guy in the street who, when he found out we were American, all he wanted to talk about was straight edge, which was pretty funny. Really? Yeah, and gorilla biscuits. What, what? <laughs> What was his fascination with straight edge? I don't know. He had just it, couldn't had, speak English. Uh, Nobody in Czechoslovakia right, could speak right, English. Right, right. Gorilla biscuits, hardcore, straight, straight edge. That was gotcha. it. So he knew the three, three things. <laughs> um, and just going into bars in Czechoslovakia, they were trying to buy shots everywhere we went. It was like, oh. But it was so cheap. 
at that time. Did you, when you were hitchhiking, did you get harassed at all? Oh my God, we had, you know. I mean, I just remember my trips to Europe and the men are very overt and they do not, um, I, I don't think it's necessarily a disrespect toward women, but it's just culturally, they're very um, verbal. Yes. About what and they, they also, think of your looks. Yeah, well, and they also <laughs> like, you know, you had a truck driver pleasure himself while we were in the van. Oh, and nice. Look at the Pyrenees, Simone. Guess what he's doing? <laughs> you just like pretend not to know. We're speaking English. He, he was doesn't. Jerking us. <laughs> and we, we let him finish, and we went on our way. What but were we also you thinking when that happened, were you like, "I'm going to die"? No, no, not, not at all. No, he just um, is but, doing his thing, yeah. and when he's done, he'll drop us off. <laughs> yeah. Um. And oh God, what else happened? Just like, so we had a couple of those. And then we met this, like, yeah. <laughs> All right, that's a little bit more open than I, you know, than, than. And then there was like, we met like Europe, an Irish truck driver who met us like in Spain and took us all the way to Amsterdam. He was so fun. We laughed the whole way. So that was really, like, I yeah. met incredible, I met some guy some, in a park. Some positive experience. We were like, too. you know, met some guy on the street and we're like looking for the local park where you're taking through. He's like, he had this beautiful little cabin he took us home and said look I'm not gonna hurt you I hitchhiked Australia and I've done this and mm -hmm. I'm gonna he took us home fed us this like amazing French meal wow and then put us in his living room let us like put our sleeping bags out take a shower in the morning and took us back to the highway like which is you know that could there was more people way. like <laughs> there was more people been, like yeah. that than not. and I think in Europe that does tend to be more the norm because they are used to road travelers. I mean, you have so many people backpacking and, and you know, touring Europe by train and, you know, it's, I think it's more common. Yes. Here, I'd be a little bit more worried about Texas I would. Chainsaw. I would never have done it here. <laughs> no. But it was one of the most incredible experiences. Ever. Were you ever afraid when you were oh, traveling? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was one time these guys got us in. They're like, we're going to take... And they said all this crazy stuff. We got to the pullover and just got out. But um, I will tell you that 99% of it was really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like it. Sounds like so. a lot of fun. All right, so you traveled through Europe. You, you were putting but, but then FOD, I got really drunk. And I took my clothes off and got on stage with them. Did you dance? Yes, when I was screaming, and I was, I was like, went nuts. And I was yelling and screaming and going crazy. And at that moment, I was like, I will be in a band. That, that I will make epiphany. this happen. That was your epiphany. Yes. Yes, I, I yes, yes, yes. I was going to start to get to that. Well, start... it really happened in Europe with FOD, and I took, and all these women were like, why did you take your clothes off? I was like, because I can, and it's okay. And they were like, it's not feminist, it's, it's not this. And I was like, but nobody made me. But oh, you, and they right. were very upset about it. And I was like, you're nuts. It's fun. What did they feel like? I mean, what was the? I was upset? objectifying myself or something, but I didn't feel that at all. Like, like, do you feel like if if it's your personal choice yes. that it's okay? Yeah. I mean, right? I paid my way through school that way, right. you know. And it's a body. Yeah. In Europe, people walk around naked all the time, and it's not considered objectifying yourself. I mean, on the beaches and right. I mean, it's kind of the norm. Right. So, if you want to take it off on stage, right, right. They didn't hear feel that way. Yeah. It was very weird. And I kind of get, like, the both sides. But I think when it is your choice... And it was totally my choice. Yeah. That was fun. Oh, fun. So you had this epiphany that I you was wanted like, to perform. Wild. I became this wild thing, which is really funny because I came up, came up this good Catholic girl in Long Island. That <laughs> well, was, you know what, what they say leaking, about those Catholic girls. That was, was leaking, those like, Catholic lurking girls, below, you know? the wild ones. 
So how old were you at, uh, out on that trip? Mid twenties, like no, early twenties, like you know, 22, 23, 24, okay. like in there. Right. So you come home. How long were you in Europe? Two months, month and a half. Nice. Um, so you come home, huh? and what happens? I just went back, back to it, you know. Back like, to kill time, back to temple. Well, well, yeah, back, back to kill time. Back to, no, no more temple. At that point, <laughs> I was done with temple. Back to stripping. Um, I was done. I was done, 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 done. <laughs> I was not going back to the Kinesi. I didn't go back till 2000. I had, like, dropped out in the middle of my senior year and didn't. And I went back in between tours with the Rosie. Did you finish? finish? I did. Good for you. Congratulations. I think, you know, when you, That's put, a whole story when you put all that time and effort in, at least you can walk away with a piece of paper, even if you I don't use it. I have a degree in kinesiology. Nice. That's all <laughs> I know I can tell you about physics and motion and people putting rackets in their hands, which has nothing to do with my life. But, hey, you know, I could have went on to PT school. That's not where I was right. going. Yeah. So, so you came home, you went back to, to dancing and, and back to kill time and putting on shows. How does Thorazine come into play? Well... Then, I, well, I moved up to Palatin Avenue with my friend Wendy, who now owns a satellite cafe at West Philly, and Ken, that was her boyfriend, and um, they, she worked at McGlinchey's ah, as a waitress, okay. and somebody was leaving and she said, you need to go in there and get a job. And I did. And I was, at that point, at the, at the strip club, they were making me the bartender because I wasn't addicted to drugs. So they started letting me learn what, how to bartend. What, oh, what? Oh, because everybody steals if they're addicted. Yes. Is that what right. it is, right? They can't I, trust I'm trustworthy. You? Yeah. Like okay. I was with the money in the yeah. register. So were you ever in, into drugs? Or I did. I dabble, I tried or? everything. I was yeah. mainly into more into the psychedelics, and but I tried everything, but nothing became this habit for me. Right. You know, it was just not that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I, I am going to go to Glinchies and get a job, and I got the job. I used to work there. <laughs> well, you probably served me beer on many occasions. Right. Well, I so I started it. working at McGlinchey's as the waitress, and then quickly they made me the bartender. I have to ask you a question. Are people still allowed to smoke in McGlinchey's? They I are. Know you we have a there. license to smoke. My eyes used to bleed in there. The smoke is so thick. Still you is. can't even... And I don't smoke, I mean, yeah. at all. Yeah. I have a, a rough voice because I'm still getting over cold, but I don't, you know... I just, I'm used to it at this point, but... Yeah. um. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to ask. I went. Um, so you went in. And you I got went the in. Job. I got the job, and then um, then I went to New Orleans with Michael Aaron, who was somebody from that time who was passed. Um, he was, come on, let's go to New Orleans. It's winter. I don't want to be here. Let's go. I was like, what are we gonna do? We gotta drive away. Mm-hmm. He's a record collector, and he worked in this store called Rock and Roll Collectibles on Decatur Street. And we did this meandering driving, and he couldn't drive. I drove. Of this drive-away car, we had like a week to get it to Mississippi because it was being foreclosed upon. Somebody so drive-away. I mean, just again for people who might not know, a drive-away is like where they need to move a car from point A to point B. So they give you the car, you pay the gas, and then you have to take it from point A to point B. And it's like you know maybe hundred dollars to do it. Especially back when gas was like what eighty-nine cents a gallon. I remember or I was less than that. Even. So we went to New Orleans, and then. Um, we did this whole, like, we hit all these swap meets and thrift stores and found all these records. And is this the early 90s at this point? Yes. This is real long, do, not long after I came back from Europe. Do you feel like, you know, it, it seemed like the 80s and 90s, and, and I don't know if it's if it's inherent to, like, to youth or, or what, but it just seemed, at least in Philadelphia, like, 
you know, a lot of people in the punk scene just like to pick up and go. Like, yes. You know what I mean? Like, yes. like, like we would we would drive to Raleigh, North Carolina um, and hang out with friends, like on a whim, you know, jump in somebody's car and drive eight hours to go visit friends. Yes. In, six states away I think it's you know. a road trip you know folly of you do you feel like it's stuff. inherent yeah. to sort of that that um, um, not wild lifestyle but you know just being very explorative and, and curious about the world like oh, yeah. do you feel like that it was it, it was yeah I mean and he was like let's go I was like it was like this horrible winter I was like I'm in let's go yeah of course McGlinchey's waited for me two months they just held my job for me. They're amazing. So I went, and I was at this point living with this woman, Susan Jordama, and on St. Bernard Street. Um, and she, like, was her kid's, like, out-of-the-house kind of person. She had the third floor, and she rented some house, rooms in the second floor. Okay. And uh, she was like, yeah, just go. Will you pay me back when, for the rent when you get back? Whatever. And I went, and um, he dumped me as soon as we get down there. And nice. I had to, like, make my way. So you had to find your way back? No, I was working and trying to make enough money to get back oh wow and uh so you were dancing yeah and then i met this weird guy from chicago who was into men and we had this long conversation and he sent me money to go he said you need to go home and i went home wow and so I went he back just to, gave you the money to he take just a train sent, or no take a flight and wow. he sent me like big amount of cash in an envelope this was somebody that you met in new orleans yes in a bar when you were dancing yeah wow and he sent me a thousand dollars, which wow. at that point was a lot of money. Yeah, well, and yeah, two, and it was like, and it doesn't cost that much to get back to Philly from but New Orleans. But he wanted to make sure I was okay. And yeah, I went yeah, home yeah. and paid all my back rent. And that's amazing. And that just uh, doesn't happen. It happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It happened, and he's like, "You need to go home. You need to get out of here. You're amazing. You're a really smart girl. Go home." Wow. And I went home. Now, at this point, I had wanted to be in a band for years. Hang on. Are you still in touch with this guy? No. I did stay in touch with him until Thorazine started touring a lot. Okay. Okay. So you came home. You paid your back rent. And, um, but even before that, I had wanted, like, when I was stripping a whole lot, I wanted to be in a band. But people kept saying, oh, we got to learn how to play bass, you know, and, uh, That's a lot of work. People weren't. Everybody wanted a chick bass player. Yes, like, but they didn't. I know, they didn't want me what to sing. Up with that? Shut your mouth and learn how to play bass. With and, bass and do you feel like so? This is the mid '90s. Now, no, this is like '93. Okay, so when I was in Kremlin Court, it was like fall of '83, going into '84, ending in '85. So it's ten years later, right? Ten years later, do you feel like it was any different? No, because there were no women. Really, no, I mean, very it was few. Like Elizabeth. Yeah, there were women making bands. All women. There was not a woman with all these guys. Or fronting a band. Right. You know, I mean, you had like Black Flag got, you know, their chick bass player. Like they had the token. I always felt like it was Alice a token. had a girl. Right. It was like a token female. Um, yes. So you didn't feel like in 10 years that had changed much. No. Who, who, who were some of the other women around still playing besides Elizabeth of the Morphines? Who else, do, who else was playing? You don't really know. Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Later, there were like more poppy bands or, you know, more indie bands that came mm-hmm. out around me, but punk rock, no. In no, Philadelphia, no, yeah. no one. Yeah. Do you and feel like that was? Um, there was like big bands like the Lunatics and you know L7 sure. and all that. Right, right, but they weren't from Philadelphia. Um, did you feel like it, it that that just sort of def- was the Philly punk and hardcore scene? I mean, was it a male-dominated oh, scene? Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. was it was it that there just weren't women 
willing or, or interested or that it was just sort there of There's a like, lot of women that chose, but I yeah. think that, yeah, they weren't as open. Maybe they weren't, there were some putting on shows, but not a whole lot. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Okay. So Thorazine. I was, uh, ups uh, my coworker had breast cancer. She was in her 30s. She still works there, by the way. And she, uh, she called me up and says, can you come in tonight? And it was like, I have to be there in an hour. She goes, yeah, I go, I'll be late. But I had no money. I just got back from the world. Right. Let me take a shower. I'll get there. I got there, opened the upstairs overflow bar. Ten minutes later, Elliot and Dallas walked in. And my whole life changed that moment. Um, and I thought to myself, tall redhead, where have you been my whole life? And Elliot is, is my husband. husband now. <laughs> okay, and we'll, we'll, we'll sort of go back, or, you know, like we'll, we'll sort all that out. And but so they walked in. You met Elliot in Dallas. Yeah, and they were looking for this guy, Adam, who actually had a TV show called Philly Cycle. It was like on the Discovery Channel for a while. And um, Adam was going to audition for their band. And he never showed up. And they were mad. And I was like, the cute one and the cranky one. And Dallas was the cranky one. <laughs> and uh, they came in and they, when I, Elliot got a beer and Dallas doesn't drink out of soda. And they were hanging out and talking to me. And we just started chatting and chatting and chatting and chatting. And it's funny because we can still chat for hours. Um, and You and Elliot. And da no, me and Dallas. Or Dallas. Okay. Dallas and I could talk until for a week and not have and not run out of things to say. It's very bizarre. Are you sure you married the right one? No. Yeah, I did. He's like, that's like my best friend, brother, and my husband. I was on the phone with him when you, yeah. So, um, so, you know, we're talking, whatever. They're, I, you work in this bar. You know all the musicians in town. Yep. You know everybody wants to sing for our band? And in a moment of bravado, I said, yeah, me, with a lot of, <laughs> I do, I do, I'll sing for your band, like that. And I, they And were did like, you realize what you were saying no. when you said it? No. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I had gone to the bathroom and Dallas was like, no girls, I don't want a girl in the band. And Elliot said, but I want to see her outside of her job. Ah, uh, <laughs> see, there's always an ulterior motive. So I went the next day to audition, yeah. and they taught me some of their songs, and I did it, and like, Dallas and Elliot were talking later, and he goes, I, Dallas goes, I was wrong, I want her, and Elliot goes, but I want to date her, and he goes, and you're not allowed to date her, so, <laughs> so I joined Thorazine, and they had the name already, and I didn't pick it, and they had played maybe three shows, uh, they were like, you know, they, they were all very on the periphery. Like, Elliot came from the Burbs. Dallas was on the very periphery of the scene, but he had been in bands like Massifist and, and played Abe's, and he had been around, but not a real central player. He's, like, sure. on, on the, the periphery on the, of yeah. it. Um, but he had grown up in Strawberry Mansion, so he's, like, life yeah, Philly person. Philly boy. What year was this? 93. Okay, so this was 93. So tell me who all was in the band. Elliot, tell me first and last name. Elliot Taylor. Dallas Cantlin. Um, and at that point, our bass player was John Quinn. Okay. He was from a band, Hollow Blue, from Boston, who had a record out on Sub Pop, and he actually moved to Philly, and his wife, he was married, and his wife was pregnant. Okay. So you start practicing. They tell you you're in the band. And what happens next? We started playing, and they started talking about what, you know, what do you want to do with this? I was like, I want to go on tour. I don't want to stay in Philly. I want to go on tour because I had seen everybody. I was like, 
repeat are going to go on tour. Um, that's my goal. I mean, our demo tape was called Getting Out of Philly. It was nice. like, that was yeah, our yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I want to tour. Yeah. And, Did um, they want to tour? Like, were they down with that? They were just like, okay, <laughs> whatever you want, man. You can make that happen, sure. And um, I, I, like, wound up getting, like, a college education in the, in the music industry, you know, just by, I had book clubs and I had booked events like the Clark Park Festival and and run big events, but then it was just now getting into this, like, okay, now how to make a tour happen. Right. right. But um, at that point, you know... The, with no internet. At no, that this point. was with no internet, yeah. yeah. And I, I think I... I booked our first tour of perching on the side of my bed with yeah. a notebook and a phone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and and someone else's calling card. <laughs> yeah, but no. Well, luckily, you know, Thorazine always had jobs. And they're always, like, able to pay their way. So they're always, like, we, were, we really had it together because we weren't drinking too much, we didn't yeah. do drugs, yeah. and we paid our bills and had jobs. Right. You know? So... Um, Elliot is the, the guitar player, and Dallas is the drummer. Yes. Oh, I know. You're making, like, beautiful faces right now. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, we fell in love over the neck of a guitar. Because he would be playing and looking at me, and then he would look away if I looked over. It was, like, high school. During practice or yes! shows? Yes! This is practice. That's funny. Because at this really point, we weren't cute. ready to have shows, you yeah, know? Yeah, And I think we tried not to date for about a month. And we, after rehearsal, we'd always go see other bands play. Mm -hmm. and, and then at this point, there's a club called the 40th Street Underground, and we'd go there, or we'd go downtown, or whatever. Who were some of the bands that you saw at that venue? Oh, I don't remember. Red Paint People. There's another blushing red. This woman, Kendall. Kendall. She wasn't in a punk band, per se, but I remember Kendall well. I don't know. There's all these, like, kind of hippie, acidy rock, mm -hmm. you know, like, but yet hard. And sure. it was all kinds of bands at that point. Right. And... Elliot and I then, we'd go out, get to dine or something, get something to eat, whatever. After rehearsal, we was home. And then we went to a bar one night, and we were drinking vodka orange juices, I remember clearly. And uh, he said, I want to jump over the table at you, and if you weren't in my band, I'd want to date you. And I was like, yeah, I feel the same way. And we've been together since. Wow. And it's 21 years of summer. Are you married? We're married. We get married in 2000. Congratulations. Nice when you hear love stories like that. Yeah, you know, and that it, don't that don't you know fall apart because of the band and. No, whatever. no, you know, I think because of Thorazine, we've been able to manage things that, you know, you know, we have two special need kids and yeah. the divorce rate for special need parents is incredibly high. Yeah, you, but you, I think because be we were able to do Thorazine and tour and live in a van together and do all that. We've been able to manage special need parenting and stay together. So how long did you guys practice before you started playing out in Philly? A month and a half. <laughs> we were awful. We were awful. How, okay, so, so let me ask you this. What, um, how would you describe your music? Like, how would you categorize it? Hardcore punk, a blend, you know? What, we were blend, like, we were like a harder, faster Ramones slash motorhead hybrid with a female singer. Okay. Like that. Like, we were that kind of, that was our... Stick. Yeah. You have some hardcore moments. Mm -hmm. We're fast, very fast, and very tight, clear. That we very. We, we didn't want to go into the. Blah, 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 blah. We like we try to keep it as fast as possible while trying to keep it clear at the same time. Are there any bands with female singers that you can sort of identify Thorazine with? No. You know what's sound? funny is like the vocal people. I wanted to be Jack Gory. <laughs> and Jack Gory from Scab Cadillac. Okay. I wanted to oh, be Jack. Him. 
Yes, I wanted to be him. I wanted to be Mike Isles from Dead Spot. That's what I wanted to be. Because there were no female role right. models. Right, but it was local bands that really got me going. And yeah. It's funny because I dated Jack for a very short time. Did you really? Yeah. I actually Before I met Elliot. knew Jack for quite some time, but we lost, we lost touch. But. Actually, I saw Jack three weeks before he died at the hot springs where he died Did you really while Thorazine was on tour wow so that was wow. an incredible that was incredible I'm yeah. so glad I had that time with him yeah. because we were all naked in this hot tub hot pool and like soaking in this beautiful like mineral water with another yeah. friend from West Philly and Elliot was there it was just really he's a good cook I never got to eat the food, um, but we had, we like would go to shows and hang oh, out. Oh yes, you did. And then we would go to like at that point I had this keys to this pool at Forty Seventh Street. This is before we did. We were just friends. Uh -huh. We go to shows. This is before I met Ellie. It's the eighties, yeah. and it was at Forty Seventh and Pine. I was a lifeguard there, and it was a beautiful Art Deco pool. And I had the keys, so we'd go out, drink, and go to shows, and then we'd all go swimming. Mm -hmm. And I have like all these memories of like that and sitting on rooftops and drinking till the sun came up. And yeah. wow, Jack was a sweetheart. He was amazing. It's been I I yeah, it's been a long, long time. So so Thorazine starts playing out. We have Where first show was at yeah, this guy, was Victor's house. They called it the Waffle House because he would have these parties and make waffles. <laughs> and it was a teeny tiny teeny 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 living room, and we set up and we played. And then our second show was in this parking lot on Baltimore Avenue on 47th, it's still there, mm -hmm. like Municipal Lot, mm -hmm. and it was the Food Not Bombs benefit. Who did you play with? You can't I can't remember. remember. I know, it's such a long time ago. And that was our were second there, show. Were there a lot of people there? I mean, do you, yeah, do you yeah, remember how it good, went like, over? You know, how, did they, how did it go over? You got it went over singer. well. Yeah? It went over well, and it was fun. It was. I just remember it being really fun. Um, and then the shows got into a blur at that point. Like, you know, it just... We started playing a lot of shows around town. Any any memorable um, um, bands that you opened for early on? No. I mean, you're talking, we played hundreds and hundreds of shows. I know. I know. I, it, it's, eesh. But nothing that's, like, I remember playing for Toxic, opening up for Toxic Reasons, Marginal Man. We played with FOD, but we didn't even play with FOD for a couple of years in. Um, no. no. Well, at that time, too, and then, played these shows in Philly and our thing was we didn't want to overplay Philly yeah. we wanted to start touring yeah. we made this demo tape and Cold sent it all over the country and we sent it to every label we could find in the back of Mexican Rock and Roll and Flipside and what happened? <laughs> we, got some, we got someone to put out 7 inch who? Lee Josephs from um, Hell Yeah and so what happened was Lee Josephs was sitting with Skip Heller who's a Philly guy yeah. and he goes Thorazine, I know that girl. She sells the hot dogs in McGlinchey's. <laughs> the hot dog lady. Yeah, I know her. And he goes, okay, let's put it in. He goes, they're kind of good. And he goes, yeah, I love those guys. And he's like, let's put a seven inch out. So I cold sent all this stuff and it found like destiny happened. Doesn't happen to anybody, it happened to me. <laughs> and I got money from, you know, it just happened. And so he put out a seven inch. And right after the seven inch came out, Smith Klein decided to, to sue us, and it made huge national. How news. did Smith Klein get wind that Thorazine existed? Because Smith, and we, and let's just let's just say this: Smith Klein is a huge pharmaceutical company. For anyone who does not know, they are the drug lords of the industry. Yes. So, um, one of their kids went to a show, and oh. came home with all the merchandise and came home late. 
and got in trouble. And this guy worked. With, it was like a muckety mucket smuggling. What are the odds? Because I mean, no, really, only me. Right, only you. <laughs> so, so Smith Klein decides to sue Thorazine. What happened? This is right after the seven inch comes out. This is right when the seven inch is coming out. We didn't even have them yet, and it. Um, we started talking about it, and we started telling people. And then the city paper did an article about it, and then. And we were booking our first tour, and I was booking a tour off a of seven inch. And we were going to Austin, Texas, and play like a week and a half back because at this point our drummer had a real job. And we were gonna do this. And we lucked out and got this huge show in Austin where we played like a Trocadero sized venue, which is, mm -hmm. I don't know, a couple thousand. That's, yeah. And we played with a Discord, really big Discord band at the time, which I guess blanking at this point. And that was our first show of our first tour. Wow. So it was really intense. How, how did that go over? It went great. And I met, I have a friend today who lives in Philly, I met at that show, who lived there and he wound up moving here. Now obviously, I mean, you put out a seven inch, four well, song EP. Yes. But you had a full set list. Yes. Yeah. So, so tell me, so what happened with Smith Klein? Well, Smith Klein wanted us to stop. You know, they, they change your name. Yeah, cease and desist. Right, and we then, have the brand name on that drug. Uh, I started talking Could about. Could you it? be a generic name? What's a generic name for Thorazine? <laughs> uh, chlorpromazine. <laughs> um, so they decided to say. So they decided to to give us a hard time, and so we went to the city paper, which then the Inquirer picked it up, and then it went within a couple of days. It was like a media circus. Really. I talked to Time. I talked to Newsweek. I talked to every and morning this was radio all you, DG, getting it out there. DJ. Yes. With no internet. No internet. <laughs> I talked to every morning radio DJ. And what happened was that the Inquirer wrote about it and hit the AP Newswire and it went boof. Well, sure. Yeah, because it's Smith Klein suing. And so it went little... to the Chicago Tribune and it was in the Times. What and did it they was... think they were going to get out of you? I don't know. So, and we like really played it up that we were like the punk rock, you know, Davy to their like yeah. corporate Goliath. This is great media exposure yes. for, for, for Thorazine coming out with an EP. Oh my God. <laughs> And so, and it was the phone <laughs> rang all the time. I remember I would work at McGlinchey's and get home Scandal at... Scandal is always good. Yeah, I'd come home at 4 <laughs> o'clock in the morning and the phone would start ringing at 5. Wow. For the morning radio shows. I was oh, wow. Mess. So you were doing interviews? All, every, I was singing on the radio. I was like crazy, you know, those crazy morning DJs. Yeah, yeah. I was on every one, of, not like, just like here, the, nationwide. Really? Yeah. Wow. It was crazy. Wow. So do you remember, I mean, what... Like they just wanted you to stop using the name. Was yes. that so? They didn't but want money they had out to of prove, you. Well, then it, when it hit the wire, these big time trademark lawyers in New York heard about it and said, "We want to represent you pro sure. bono." Right, right, right. And because like, it's exposure for them. <laughs> right. But hey, it's free. It's free. And I was like, okay. And um, he, uh, Smith Klein, wanted to have a meeting. And the big, big lawyer dude who was just, he was funny, he goes, I was on the highway driving to work and I heard this and I had to talk to you, you know? So um, they came down and we went to Smith Klein. And at this point, I don't have a dress to wear to Smith Klein. Like, <laughs> I don't have anything to wear. Right, like, I had to right. borrow clothes sure. from a friend who was going to law school. And we all had to get dressed up and go, go down in there. And they were like, change your name. We said, no. It was like two sides of a bargaining <laughs> table. Change your name. No. no. And he said, $5,000. And we said, no. And they said, how much you want? We said, 50 grand. And they said, no. <laughs> and then they said, we'll see you in court. And nothing ever happened after that. And they yelled at us a lot. And they tried to intimidate us, but we just said, no. 
was like so. That. I mean, the upshot is they didn't have the trademark on the name. No, what happened was they would have to prove in a court that their doctors would uh, confusion. Their doctors would go to the Thorazine show instead of going to the pharmacy. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a far better treatment? <laughs> to send your patients to a Thorazine <laughs> show than actually give them drugs? I like that, you know, that's a good premise. I actually, yes. I'd like to see that happen. <laughs> so, um, so that happened and then we played Lollapalooza that year. Did you really? Yes. And we only played Pittsburgh, but it was like this show where... How did you get on Lollapalooza? I don't know, they found oh God, us. It was like, where are all these people found in us? in front of thousands of people. It was, we had a seven inch. Was that the most insane? People got kicked out during while we were playing. I was like, you paid how much money to go to Lollapalooza and you got kicked out watching tours? How did they get kicked out? Slam dancing? Yeah, you're just going, yeah, you're getting violent. It was, and we didn't play the main stage. It was like three stages, the main stage, the second stage was over a hill, and then there was this third stage. And, but the main stage would stop and the third stage would start. So you're, in, you're getting that same crowd. Yeah. As far as I could see those people, it wow. was just... Were you terrified? I don't remember. It was just... <laughs> well, you know what? Like, was it like a deer in the head? I mean, no, really? No, it was like, like the I... day before was a big Clark Park festival. Yeah. We had Dead Milkman play with two humongous... Um, uh, we got 40-foot inflatable dinosaurs like that we fundraised to get all this stuff. So I was like in charge of that. I put the stage into the kill time and then got in a van and went to Pittsburgh. Wow. And played the show. So... It was just a really intense, exhausting time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was exhausted. There's no time to think about it. Like yes. You just had to perform. Yes. How would you describe yourself as a performer? What were you like on stage? I'm very aggro, very intense. Um, I got accused of having testicles under my dress more than once. <laughs> I'm, I'm really like... Do you? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm just, I'm I have children. I bore them. I, the testicles, but they were not there. I don't know. I've been accused of the same, and you know, every time I check, they're not there. Either. No, but it was very, <laughs> you know, and it, so that we played the the Lollapalooza show, and um, we sold seven inches. It was great. Um, How are you feeling after? Like you just must have been blown away. It was so fast and so much that. And we, we just kept wanting to move forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's when Lee Josephs got in touch and said, let's make it out. Let's put our record. And so we booked And for it. people who don't know, who is Lee Josephs? Lee Josephs is the head of Hell Yeah Dionysus out, out in L.A. in Burbank, mm -hmm. who at this point put out a seven inch and, come yeah. on, let's make a record. Yeah. And so we toured out. And um, wow. we toured well, off a of seven inch. We had so <laughs> much chutzpah. We had no idea. Like, who tours off a of seven inch? We did. Punks. Punks yeah. do. I mean, that's like the amazing. We had such chutzpah, though. We were yeah. like, come on. That's right. And people helped us. But that's sort of that whole, <coughs> that whole do it yourself right. component. And we it's, did have some booking agent help, um, but that came later after the, when the album came out. Yeah. But this one we did ourselves. Yeah. We toured out. Yeah. And we um, stayed in LA with this woman I met through a friend of a friend who was in that movie Suburbia. Uh huh. And she had a kid, and it was like a one-bedroom apartment, and Thorazine slept in her living room. And Lee Josephs at that point had never met us, so he's not really wanting to put us up. Right, right. He's, yeah. But we, oh, poor Becca. This woman put us up for a week, like a week, because wow. we had to record. Yeah. And uh, we recorded our album. And How many songs? Fifteen. Uh, Thorazine songs are teeny. They're very short and very fast. What, was, what would you say were like sort of the... Like hit songs off of the album. I'm not a whore is a really good song. Um, what was the name of the album? <laughs> what was it called? Another whole story. It's called <laughs> Crazy Uncle Paul's Dead Squirrel Wedding. 
Okay. And on the cover were 70 taxidermied squirrels that someone had made the scene of a wedding. And someone at a party in West Philly showed us, and we went to Gettysburg to photograph the dead squirrel wedding. And really, the dead squirrel weddings were brought us back together 12 years after we broke up. Wow. So what is this dead squirrel like? It's, it's a taxidermy diorama of wow. squirrels in at a Gettysburg. wedding. All in outfits in someone's basement in Gettysburg. <laughs> someone that you knew. We met him at a party. He was like, we went to this party. It was the worst party in the world. And it's funny because the guy who showed us the pictures said the same thing in the documentary. It's the worst party ever. <laughs> and he was bored. And he goes, I'm going to go mess with those weird looking people. Yeah. Show him a picture of the Dead Squirrel Wedding. And we're like, can we make that our album cover? And he was like, how am I going to get the punk rockers into my dad's house? Oh, that's funny. From Gettysburg. And his dad wound up loving us. He's like, I didn't expect the punk rockers to come in and be polite. Right, right. And we were very nice we're people. very nice people. Yes, we have, we have morals. Skills, instead. Yeah. We, we, we were raised right. We yeah. went to Catholic school. Right. So <laughs> the dad made everybody coffee. And next thing you know, we were talking like antique guns. He was going to take us all shooting in the backyard. It was crazy. Shoot some squirrels. <laughs> no, no, he didn't do it. His uncle Paul made the dead squirrel away. Right, right, right. And he had passed, and they that's inherited hilarious. it. So, so that was the album. So, um, I'm not a whore. Yeah, that's a good song. Um, get out, away. Everybody loves. It's like that's one of the. But what, that's not what's really a way about. Uh, I didn't write it. Um, our second bass player, Fed, wrote it. He was like the first bass player and the third. He was the first like before I came. He sang and played bass. Okay. And then he was the third bass player. Who wrote most of the music? We all did. Like, did you write most of the lyrics? Not all of them. Some, some of them. Some of them. Some yeah. other people wrote. Yeah. It's, it's, you yeah. know, and then a bass player came in and he came in with complete songs. And we had six bass players around that wow. time. So we had this resolving. It was like as Spinal Tap and drummers and Thursday and bass players. Right. So you guys went through a lot of bass players. Yes. So let's say who your current bass player is. Is Dan Hoover. Dan Hoover. Well, <laughs> and we did settle on one and he stayed with us for 20 years. So okay. right. Ross so was our ba bass player for a very long Ross, time. Ross. What's Ross's last name? Abraham. Okay. And he came from an industrial background which was really interesting and he saw us and wanted to be in our band okay and uh when he joined us that's when we really cohesed in a really tight is way is he on and the album he is on the okay. album he was he, fed didn't well john quinn left then fed came back but fed had kids and didn't want to tour that's when we got ross and ross okay. had a van and we toured. nice hey if you have a van you're in the band yeah <laughs> but he's also really really talented yeah. he had been playing bass since the 70s wow and the whole new york scene and he was from new york and was he in other bands yes what yes. other bands was he oh in? my god a blind dog stairs he was in um xavier cross here in philly mm -hmm. that was the industrial band I remember but that. it goes on and on. Like he, you know, lived in the same neighborhood, Cheetah Chrome, and you know, right, right, right. he did that whole New York right. thing. But Thorazine has been the only band that you've been in. Yes. Yeah. So you guys. I was in. I was in a um, very short-lived band of all women called Twat. We did cock rock covers. It was really fun. Nice. What? What was that before? Thorazine? That was in the end of Thorazine. Okay. So we'll talk. We'll 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 try and get that in there. So so now Thorazine is putting out an album, and you guys seriously go on tour at this point. No, well, we seriously toured to do the album. Okay. Then we come home, the album comes out, and then we toured again. Okay. Um, and it, it, I'm going to tell you, it's a blur of shows, because when we were in town, we were doing a lot of weekends out of town. Now, and our thing was to play Philly and have amazing shows two or three times a year. We didn't want to just play Philly. Sure. And we sure. wanted well, to... You get stuck. Right. Here. And so we went. We kept moving. Now, I know you played with Fear. Yes, right? we did. Because I saw your in. pictures. So at least that's one band that we remember that you opened for, right? We did. We did a week with Where Fear. Where was that? 
I started in the Carolinas. <clears throat> it was fear, Thorazine, anti-scene. Mm -hmm. The tour, we got to the Carolinas as fast as fear, anti-scene, Thorazine, anti-nowhere league, like just gigantic. What was, what was leaving like? Did you get to meet um, him? I, know I him? did get to meet him. Um, he's really cool. Yeah? Because um, he's freaking intimidating not I mean, at just, all you know on stage I gotta tell so you so angry it and was your like my high school fantasy was like sitting on the side of the stage every night watching leaving play I was like I know slap me every yeah. day slap yeah. me slap me slap yeah. me it's not real to this day I love living in the city is one of my favorites <laughs> um he grew up in Philly Did so really? yes and he went to Villanova he did yes who knew? Good Catholic boy. <laughs> another, another one. Ah, oh, see, you guys are all twisted. <laughs> it's all you Catholic school kids. Um, Evil. He, he, um, we didn't really get to talk to him much because mm -hmm. he did his thing. I, um, but his band we got to know really well. See, I thought he was like L.A., like West Coast. No, he's from, his first bands in the 60s were here. Really? In Philly. He was talking to me oh, about I should South do my Street homework. And that. Yeah. Yeah. And He's all, um, how old is he though? He's a little bit older than Yeah, he is. Right? He was yeah, in yeah. his he was in his like yeah. it had to be in the in the forties and the nineties. Yeah, so that would have been so way before we were, my generation. Um, we were So you toured with fear for a yeah. week. I mean that was fun. And it was funny because we did really well, and the only place we got booed was in Philly, which really was sad. Wait, you know, that do you really, feel really like, upset me like, and really hurt. Is it just the Philly attitude that, like, it takes a lot to win people over? I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, even our reunion, I'm sending out invites, and people are saying they're coming who live far away, but yeah. even though they can't come. I was coming. I couldn't walk. <laughs> Mine was on my back. Somebody <laughs> said on somebody's, like, you're going to see Thorazine. Why would you see them? They suck. And I was like, why would you write that? Yeah, why would you? On someone's invitation. We've been apart for so many years, and, and like at forty, it didn't forty-eight, yeah. forty-seven. And if you it don't didn't bother me nice as much say, as it did when I was in my thirties yeah, and twenties. yourself. Like, yeah. why do you need to? So that was sad. That, that was hard to come play the TLA. Do you think TLA that's inherent, inherent to Philly? I don't know. It just yeah. was inherent for us because we're a tough crowd. I mean, Philly is really a tough crowd. I just—it was inherent to Philly for us in Philly. And like we would go to yeah. Boston, and people would flock to buy yeah. merch. And like you're a woman, you're holding your own. I was on this tour with I was the only woman, uh, merch people, everything. I was the only woman, and I did fine. It was fine. Yeah. And you know, people were really well received, and people buying merch, going, "Oh my God, you really held your own on the stage." Kudos to you. It's nice things, you know. Mm -hmm. and, do you think here it was because you were a woman fronting a band that that Thorazine? I don't. Had? I just think they hated us, you know. I kind of remember, I mean, you know, even the Dead Milkmen, who, you know, for what they do, are, are really good. I, I like their music. But I remember when they first started playing shows at Abe's and things like that. Like, there were the haters. There were yeah. The, Philly know. has good haters, you know. Yeah. I mean, look at us, you know, look at us when we go to sports shows. Uh, well, yeah, that, the, <laughs> that whole Eagles thing. I don't thing. know. Like, I don't know. I, anyway, so. I don't know. City but that brotherly was, love, now get the fuck out. So that was, so. you know what it was yeah, and it was yeah. a good tour and then um, so we toured it? out to do another album with Lee a second album and we did Vicious Cycle okay um, and at that point like really right before the first album Thorazine moved in together because it was easier for us to have a house in West Philly we were all really responsible and we lived like a family and you know Dallas and I always wow. joke Thorazine hurt the ills because we all had some really crappy things happen in our childhood all of us had some major things going mm -hmm. on, that, you know. So it's a level that and you could connect. And it was on. like we, Thorazine was like 
family therapy for us. It was really changed all of our lives in a really good way. But so we lived together in her basement. It made mm -hmm. it easier. And then we had always had a, a fifth roommate who took care of the house and the dog when we went away. <laughs> you need that fifth roommate. <laughs> Someone has to be there. So, I mean, with Elliot, now you're in the band and you're touring. I mean, were you guys getting along well? Yeah, on, on yeah we do. You know, the kind of thing, like, Doris had this whole, you know, after, I think we had screaming arguments the first tour, but not so much after. Occasionally, but, you know, you're in the van together all the time. It's sure. hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bunch of smelly guys. Yeah, they, they showered. <laughs> they were good. Um... If we had to, we'd stop at a truck stop. We were not about being nasty, old punk rock smelly, you know? You wanted to be clean. Yes. You were Catholic school kids. We would do, as like, we had a lot, we were like so family-like. We'd put all our laundry, everybody had to have different color socks. Oh, that's funny. And you had this tour, you had blue, you had black, you had, oh, you had and then down. we put all our dirty laundry. Now, whose plan was that? Was that your plan? No, it was Dallas, you, I think. Oh, okay. We put all our dirty that? laundry into one laundry bag. And then we would all go and do it and then separate it and put it back into our backpacks so that we, like, even like once a week we'd stop and we would go to the laundromat and hang out. So, so as a woman in the band, I mean, on tour, did you, did you ever feel like, you know, odd man out? Or Never. That the only time I felt odd man out is when we'd go to a truck stop and they all went into the bathroom and I had to go to the other one. And But they had each other. There's like power in numbers and right. I'm alone. And here you are, this chick in, you know, where? In, Bumblefuck you know, somewhere. Right. Taking a shower. And well, not, not, you know. Even not taking a shower, just going in. Yeah. And, and, and truck stops, women's bathrooms are kind of desolate places. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, <laughs> and that, I think, that was, that was like, I was just like, I want to go. <laughs> yeah. You want to be with your people. Yeah, but right, it right. was, I think, that, like they were always from the very get-go is like you're a singer that's it it's fine it was never you're the girl and or it was never you're the couple you know yeah because that um, can be hard too. and we you know we, we did a good job of it of just you know i mean yeah we're together and, and it is the way yeah. it is and we have yeah. like little like you know people who've been together a long time they, they like they bicker yeah funny yeah and Dallas always just laughs at us yeah, yeah. because we've been doing it for years. Yeah. And, but we don't let our real like emotional horribleness like go into the band. Yeah. You know, and Elizabeth and Alan have been able to do that too over yeah. the years with the Morphines, which you know I find amazing um, to be able to, to travel and be with someone 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, Thursday had this whole way of giving each other mental headspace in the van, like where we would always bring a library with us of books. There's no right. internet at this point sure. or mobile phones. Yeah, or, yeah. And the van would get up to speed in the highway, and everybody would just shut up and read, whoever was not driving. And then some of them, like after a couple hours, go, I have to pee. And everybody, and then everybody <laughs> start chatting. And then it would slow down, and we'd go in and do it, you know. Right. And we'd do things like go to the dollar movies for a place to hang out, because you get to the venue, and you have all day to kill. Yeah. Where do you go? Right. You don't do know you anybody. Do? You know. Did, did you find, you know, were there any places where people kind of took you in? And yes, there were times, but then it was like you were sleeping on someone's floor. It was nasty. and. Sure. That was hard. We, we did be. we did some of that, <laughs> yeah. but then also we we started doing this thing called the, we called it the two for one special, where we would play a gig and drive for a drive to the next town and get there in the morning or like Motel Six changes their day over at five a.m. so we could get there anywhere from five to seven a.m. and then sleep all day hmm. and then take a shower, go to the show, sleep all night. So we got two sleep for the price of one. Gotcha. Ah. 
Oh, that was smart. And two showers. Until six. We'll yeah. leave the light on. Yeah, oh, dude. It was like, we would have a million jokes about about it. But they, at that point, when yeah. we were touring, it was yeah. $27 for a room. Yeah. Which, so the four of us could go in. Yeah. How long did you guys stay out on tour? Well, our longest tour was 100 and something dates. Wow. And is, was that all U.S.? Did you ever go over to Europe? We didn't go to Europe, and that was our dream. That was your dream. So now we're going to pack up the kids and take them, because <laughs> so, I want to go. <laughs> you might make it happen. I have a feeling. Um, do you remember how many albums got pressed? First of all, the, the EP. Do you remember how many 7 Inches got pressed? How no. many sold anything? Did no, you make I just any know money it sold off out. of it? No. Nothing. No. So the record distributor made everything, and well, you know, he let us keep a lot of the rights, and then he paid for all the recording costs. Okay. So I'm. So I'm you wondering. broke even. Yes. Yeah. We never owed him any money. Yeah. But the two albums, do you, do you know how many of those were pressed? Did they sell out? No. no. It's funny because he doesn't have any more, and I. Been buying them online new. Have you? You've been buying your own music. That's hilarious. I know. If someone looks it's, in the back because we had no merch. Yeah. Um, but then it's been driving up the price, so I have to not do that anymore. <laughs> um, You're driving up the price of your albums. <laughs> do you have your demo tapes? I do, but I don't have a place to play it, but I have it. Yeah. Um, and we put out both albums, and they didn't sell them all. There's still new ones out there. Um, but it's funny because even as like little as like a year ago, some guy in Germany bought it and then wrote about it online. Wow. Who him and I have been going back yeah, and forth. I sent him a shirt. He was very excited to see we got yeah, back together. Yeah. So what what led to the breakup of Thor's? I got team? pregnant and at what 37. Year, and what year was that? 2000. It was January 2003. It was like, I got pregnant at the end so of So 10 December. years later. And at that point, Ellie and I were married. We got married in 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had already been playing for 10 years, touring with the band. We were together eight years when we got married. Eight years, okay. We were one but financially I mean, for all the time. But the band had been together 10 years. Yeah, yeah. no, eight years at that point. Oh, okay. 2000. But, oh, but 2000. the band broke up. It was 10 years, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, and, you know, our last tour was 99. I had gone to Ross, our bass player, turned 40. And he was like, he's a bit older than we were. And he was like, what am I going to do? You know, we're family. He's taking me somewhere in the van. And he goes, what am I going to do? I said, what do you want to do, Ross? What do you want to do with your life? And he's like, I want to be a graphic designer. I said, well, it's time to go to college. <laughs> and within like two months, he was in school. For graphic design. Yeah. And he has a, now he has a bachelor's in graphic design. And after his first semester, and he had like a perfect four hours. I was like, I am so incredibly proud of you. He goes, yeah. you have to go back. And you got to listen to your brother. And I um, contacted Temple. And the guy who was my academic advisor at that time, who would be my academic mm-hmm. advisor, I was in his very first class as a graduate assistant. He remembered me. Oh, wow. And he took me in, and he got me into a summer school class, and it was an incomplete. And he was honoring all these incompletes from how many years earlier. Wow. And I had pink, purple, and green hair and tattoos, and the guy didn't want me in the class. And the academic advisor said, I promise you this woman's going to get good grades. She's going to be one of your best students. At the end, he goes, you know, kinesiology is very conservative. Yeah. He shook my hand and said, you're the best student in my class. I'm sorry. Wow. And so I finished that, and then I went on tour in, in the fall of 99, and Elliot and I got engaged between Christmas and New Year's right before 2000. He walked into McGlinchey's and said, I'm ready. Let's just get married because I'm about to have my first career job, and I want to have you have health insurance. If I get money, I want you to have it, and that's it. We're going to get married. I was like, can I finish working? <laughs> So, did you guys have like a big wedding or did you? We had a very teeny wedding. Um, so I had gone back to college in January, was yeah. engaged, went back to college, got married on spring break, 
And we got married in my sister's living room with 35 people, and I wore a black dress. It was very, very nice. small. Yeah. And then uh, we never even had a honeymoon. Um, I think your honeymoon was, it was like all those tours. Country. <laughs> and then Elliot started a regular career. He wanted to get into IT because uh-huh. most people who work in the bar business go drink after work. We would go home and build networks for fun. And so he went and got all these certifications, and he went and got his first IT job. And uh, I... Uh, I was still working at McGlinchey's and then, you know, I had gone to school and then we are married a little bit and then I got pregnant and we weren't having kids. And I was kind of, at 37, I felt like, wow, this is meant to be. And that was really hard because we weren't sure what we were doing. And Thorsey was still together at this time, but not playing a lot. Yeah. Play here and there, but not a ton. Yeah. We were all living together still. And, um. I got pregnant, and it really fell apart there. And then we had a really bad falling out with Dallas, mm. which I regret to this day. And he moved out in the middle of the night kind of thing and just oh, left. Wow. Over your being pregnant? No, and the band it was like up, some, there was like the band was breaking up, and there was other like, sure. well, it's stuff. Emotional. It's family. It's emotional, It's family, yeah. and it was, everything yeah. was about to change, yeah. and it got ugly. Yeah. I, I'm, and I, I messed up, and it was just, and he, you know, we all messed up, and it was just... It happened. It happened. And he went his way, and we didn't talk to him for 12 years. For Well, from that moment until wow. last year. Wow. Um, wow. And we were so close. Yeah. And I had Ryan, and then Elliot lost his job two weeks after I found out I was pregnant with Ryan. At that point, I had gotten IT certifications. I was working in law firms with long sleeves. Yeah, sure, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I have covered in yeah, tattoos. Yeah, you have to cover up. And... I was working in IT, and I, then the baby came, and Elliot was still unemployed, and he was home with the baby, and oh, it, was, it was hard. And then finally he did get work, and then Aaron was another oops, and we were only 18 months apart kind of thing. We were like, no more. I'm, I was almost 40 <laughs> at that point. It's exhausting when you're older and you have kids. And you know, I was okay. We did it. We, I think he's more tired than I am. Yeah. Yeah. I have a 10-year-old. So, I'm exhausted. Well, I have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old <laughs> now. So, and then, um, so Thorazine were apart all those years yeah. and working normal jobs. And, and then when Aaron was four months old, um, I realized there's stuff going on with Ryan. And he was going to get kicked out of daycare. Mm. And, uh, At four months old? No, no, that was, Aaron oh. was four months old. Oh. Ryan was oh. two. Ryan was two, okay. Like, how do you get kicked out of daycare? Well, he was two years old getting kicked out of daycare. (laughs) Poor kid. Mm. And because of bad parenting, because you know. Because you have tattoos. And I, yeah, Yeah. must be a bad parent. And um, they didn't send me to a developmental pediatrician, which I should have. And I called McGlinchey's. And I said, okay, I know I haven't been there in seven years and you haven't seen me, but I need my job back. And they gave me my job back. Wow. So I started back at the bar when Aaron was six months old. I'm still there. Yeah. But it's a way to make an incredible living two days a week. Sure. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I get to be home, which was just, yeah, has been great. Mm-hmm. Um, then last year, um, our, our label out in L.A., Lee, re-released everything onto iTunes. When I, like in the last couple of years. Yeah. You guys did a video too. Yes, we did. This guy. I've he, seen that video. Yeah, the guy needed um, it's a director. He's now a director. He needed a, a producer out in Hollywood, uh-huh. but he needed a an, a directorship of his own. Mm-hmm. And he did it's on it for YouTube. Us for free. Well, yeah, we'd put yeah. it there. We, yeah. It was on videotape. Yeah. It was old. Yeah. Um, 
And so we, um, we made, that was fun. That was a lot of fun to make. But it was funny because that had like catering and all the licenses. It was very LA. And we're, we're <laughs> Philly people and we did a lot of time in LA. It was yeah, very yeah, like, yeah. we were always like, yeah. whoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was always very real when we yeah. went there. But, um, so we were a part all those years and, you know, I was raising my special need kids and I started blogging and I started doing all that stuff. And then I started working in social media and getting involved in the whole blogging community and stuff like that. I'll ask you about the blog in a minute, but, um, um, everything was released on iTunes. Yes. And then right. some woman on Twitter said to me, what happened to the dead squirrel wedding? And they said, I don't know. I left it in Gettysburg in 1995 <laughs> I never saw it again she went and found the dead squirrel wedding and it's still in Gettysburg in the same place we left it with the same like spray starch cap holding up the bride because it's and she's trying to get Ripley's Believe It or Not to adopt it and she wow. wanted to make a documentary about this dead squirrel wedding and the rehab of it and getting it displayed because it's like 70 taxidermied squirrels. <laughs> and it's like everyone has a, a unique outfit and it's really intense. So she, she wanted to do this, and this is last summer. And, she's, and we're on vacation for the first time ever as a family and I'm, I'm getting these emails. I'm like, what the hell? Right. So we were going to do it. But, you know, we, we talked a little bit with our bass player, not much. He wound up marrying one of our ex-booking agents, ex-girlfriends. It's really funny. Um, and so he, you know, he's living in South Philly working in graphic design. And, you know, she's like, well, have you all together? I said, no. And so I wrote an email. I, I got in touch with some friends. I was like, I think I'm going to email Dallas. And I did. That's the best thing I ever did. And I said, you know. I know you're not a bygones be bygones person. Maybe we can move forward from here. I'm sorry. You know, that kind of stuff. It was, it was a good email. I did good. And he wrote me back 10 minutes later. And he's like, so this is what I've been doing. <laughs> An email. I was like, wow. He missed you guys. Oh, my God. And yeah. we missed him. And Aww. it That's was so such an incredible moment yeah. in my life. And sometimes time was important. You know. Because we, we all had... You grow, grow up a little bit. And yeah. Well, we were in our 30s when we broke sure. up, so... Yeah, but, you know, it's... it's Whatever happened sounds like it was really big, and sometimes, you know, the time apart... It was amazing. Yeah. And then he and I healed this relationship via email. We would send each other these long emails about our life and what we are and who we are. And we went to go film the documentary. We hadn't all been in the same room, and we, we got... Our reunion was on film. Wow. And I cried when I saw him. It was Aww. just... Oh, I'm sure. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, so then we were together. You know, we, we still were emailing and stuff. And I said, you know, I've been working in social media. I want to make a Facebook page because I never made one. I'm going to make one for Thorzy. And in one day, it was 400 likes or 350 likes. And even now, it's like about 800 likes. And we're like, people remember us? What the heck? And he says in the email, you know this means we have to play a show. Course. So, Ross was a little iffy, and Elliot was, I've always took Elliot and just dragged him kicking and screaming through the whole thing. So he was like, ah, two weeks from now, it's too soon, come on, we're going to go and learn seven of the old songs. And we did, and the first rehearsal we were horrific. <laughs> but in 12 weeks we went from horrific to incredibly tight again. And um, 
we played the show and it was really fun and it was Where we played with play? the pagan babies right. at the fire may 3rd i had seen the pagan I babies i had never saw them back in the day oh really i saw them okay. open for ruin and that, that was, was an like, amazing show amazing show so when i saw them i was like i want to play with the pagan babies and they said yes and i was like oh my god <laughs> they're great guys they're great and yeah. um and even you know, Mark. Did you know Mark and McManus and all those guys? Back I did. In the well, day? I knew more in the '90s. Um, McGinnis yeah, spent a lot man. of times upstairs at Nick's. Elliot uh -huh. worked at Nick's as a sound man. So, like, and they were friends with Rick D from mm -hmm. who was um, in Stalin's daughter yeah. and all that. And, and we all worked for Rick D with Dorsey right. and stuff. So there was a connection. So yeah, so I knew him, but I was like, I didn't know you were McGinnis. Like I didn't. Right. Right. It all comes together. Yes. Um, so how'd that show go over? I was, I really was, it was disappointed. Incredible. I bought a ticket. I had a ticket. I couldn't it even sold go. Out. <laughs> um, it was incredible. It, I, I, I vacillated from crying and giggling the whole night. Yeah. It was very overwhelming, but yeah. it went, it came across really well. And people said, if I didn't know better, I thought you were secretly rehearsing once a week for the last 12 years. Wow. And so we really got together tight again. So going forward, what's the plan for Thor? Well, we, we've so got Dan Hoover. Dan Hoover? Well, Dan, Ross decided he didn't want to move on with us. Okay. And Dan Hoover, I mean, he's, a, I just know Dan through actually the cycling world, which <laughs> shows you, you know, the six degrees of separation. I don't know Dan from the punk scene or anything like that but i'm really excited i'm really excited about with hoover you. hoover's brought this new life yes. into thorazine he's and a he has, that boy he has this whole secret plan of the new incarnation <laughs> and i like where he's going with it i just i like him he's he a has good guy. energy yeah, yeah i mean we've only had he's five. a ball buster but he's got really good energy yeah but you know we've had five rehearsals and he's yeah. such a hard worker yes. that he's like got a set together already and he's <laughs> nuts i'm like wow you're amazing and we play with him like now was dan wow. in other bands he was like in some alternative bands one was called magnetic jesus mm -hmm. it's like that 90s alternative yeah. stuff yeah um he sent me his bio yesterday and i haven't finished reading it and putting uh -huh. it together for the thorazine site okay but um you were just getting to know him like you know we yeah, just yeah. all but we're all feeling each other out but i love him I'm really glad yeah, he's part of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he got so, my kids writing songs, which is just hilarious. That's awesome. So going forward, what is the plan? I don't know. This, we don't know. We're just going to... Yeah. We've got... Um, See what happens. Do you have any other shows lined up? We do. We just lined one up today. Um, Can we're you playing, tell me? Yeah. It's, um, we're playing... Um, Rich, Rich Burtwell. Rick Dur mm -hmm. Burtwell died. And he had cancer. Mm -hmm. um, and they're having a, um, a fundraiser for this cancer organization he was really part of during his struggle okay and uh jim um who was part of black hole mm -hmm. his band's playing the minute i forget the name now i feel really awful um we're gonna play with them what's and the it's date august 9th with fod thorazine and uh the prisoners nice. um and we're playing at connie's rick rack Nice. I can't wait. It's really I'm gonna coming. be fun. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a fun show. I mean, FOD is gonna play. It's like yeah, um, the drummer from FOD night. and my husband went to grade school together. Oh. They often have arguments. What happened in third grade and nine when they were nine, ten years old, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> and then I have that. You know, I was on tour with them. Sure. And actually, last time I saw them play was uh, the last night the Fake House had a show, and they gave me a shirt because Dave had wandered off in Berlin and I found him. <laughs> nice. So nice. So I want to start to wrap up. We've been talking for a while, but um, tell
tell me about your blog. What is it called? I'm punkymama.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I started Punky Mama when my children were being diagnosed and they have very diverse special needs. And there was no community for someone. Like, I felt I had no community. I was a woman without a community. And being the person I am and coming from this punk scene, <clears throat> living collectively, and I needed people. I couldn't mm-hmm. do this on my own. And you know, my husband was working a ton of hours so that I could be home to help them. Mm-hmm. And um, I started it. And um, I've been blogging since 06. And what do you blog about? My kids, their needs, punk rock. Bartending, I all, this is my life. Like, um, yeah, I'm a memoir I, blogger. You know, memoir. So, I mean, is there advice involved in it, or no, just, sort just of your stories. experience? It's just stories. Your experience. Yeah. Do you get a lot of feedback on the site? I do. I do. Um, yes, I have a couple hundred readers a day. But then, like recently, Philadelphia Magazine copied one of my blog posts and wrote a story off of it for their uh, food booze blog on their site, and oh, that wow. I went viral for a day too. It was pretty nice. crazy. That's um, fun. But really, Thorazine was a way to keep myself sane through the early parenthood of having kids with s- some scary stuff. And, um, and it was a way for me to reach out and find a community. Mm-hmm. And I did. And, and it sounds like, I mean, just from what you said a moment ago, like being involved in this punk scene and living collectively. And, you know, we talk about how, you know, hardcore and punk was always sort of a DIY um, uh, community. You know, right. if you wanted to get something done, you got involved and you did it yourself. You didn't use corporate. You didn't have a lot of money to do it. You just made it happen. Right. And it sounds like from our, even from our private conversations, that it has taught you how to advocate for your kids' Oh, absolutely. Well. I, I wrote a piece and I read it in a, um, it was a, a performance thing that happens every Mother's Day throughout the country and it's called Listen to Your Mother. And I uh, read a piece on how being in a punk rock band prepared me for special need parenting. <laughs> and I, and I, I just watched like that. That is also on YouTube, and I checked that out. That was and great. And I, cont- I compare and contrasted what was like the things, the skills I got from being in the band, how it made. What are some of those skills? Can you name a few? Um, just, you know, you don't have to take people at face value. Um, if you've researched and read differently, you can find people who are going to help you in your quest for helping your children or you know I had a doctor tell me like oh allergy testing is tough and eczema is topical and I fought with her and I got what I needed from my other son I found a school placement and things that he needed Um, and it's just like I had said in that piece that you know it's like being in the Midwest with a day off and finding a record store or a basement or an all-age show to play so that you're not sitting there not making money and you learn to have a voice. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So in, in wrapping up, um, not much changed in the 10 years from my tenure to your tenure. Do you think anything has changed now for women in the music scene? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it, it's coming in after 11 or so years. I don't know. I, I played one show. So I'm just starting to like get my feet back, back in the water in. of it. Yeah. But I really want to know. And that's like something yeah. I've been, you know, like, the city paper had come after us and did a piece on it when we got back together. And I was saying, you know, here I am now a woman of a certain age and I don't have to disappear into my children in cookie sales. I could still do Thorazine and be, you know, on the board of directors of the swim team. I can sure. do both, you know. Sure. Yeah. Um, and there's that beauty of, of you know, I'm, I'm okay with just being me. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm always going to be this out-of-the-box person but 
I don't know what me, women are doing in music anymore. I don't know. I didn't follow it for years. What would you, know? you What would you say to young women? You know, any advice? Just or do what? it. Just do it. You know, it, it took me into my 30s, like my very late 20s, before I started being in a band because I felt so intimidated, and so many people, not a lot of people, were encouraging me to do this. But was anyone discouraging? Oh you? yeah. Yeah. They told you. They told me to learn how to play bass. Right. Right. And. I'm so glad I did it. it. It's changed my life. I brought me my husband. It brought me my family. It brought me my extended family of you know Thor, my Thorazine family, and and I I don't want to be the same person without them. Yeah, and I think that there are those people in the scene who do support women's creativity. Oh, absolutely, and, and but it was never like the it, it was people who come to Thorazine shows don't go to other shows. It's very interesting who comes and supports Thorazine. Yeah. Well, we will end on that note. And I have to tell you, I am thrilled to have <laughs> met you. I'm so happy that we're friends now. <laughs> and it was really lovely to sit down and talk with oh, you. And I, 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 I love so hearing your stories. I'm so excited to be part of this. Um, because Punk Rock in Philly changed my life. And in such amazing and big ways. I think it's changed a lot of people's lives. And I, and, and I think the really neat thing is, is that perspective that you have now looking back that there is that appreciation, you know, for how it's changed lives and, oh, yeah. and where it's brought us to today. And I so. think the oral history is just amazing. High fives, girlfriend. We are out. <laughs>